1 Samuel 20 is our text this morning. So I've got maybe just under 30 minutes, and uh, I want to cover 42 verses and six points. And so the way I see it, either I'm going to be disappointed because I won't be able to cover it like I want, or you'll be disappointed because you'll stay here for a long, long time. So uh, prepare to be disappointed, okay? You know, we were all excited when Scotty Scheffler won the Masters, got that green jacket. Uh, we would have been probably more excited had it been Cameron Smith, the people's champion. We all love him and want him to have that green jacket himself with the crustache and the mullet. Uh, we think it's a good look. But when Scotty Scheffler won, we were very excited. He's a man of faith. He's got a great story. Uh, it was a great win. He's a great champion. But he didn't do it enough, or he didn't do it alone, rather. Maybe you saw the interviews, read the interviews, where his wife Meredith had to help him Sunday morning of the Masters going into that final round. Here is how they described their interaction. He said, I was so stressed out. I cried like a baby that morning with the weight of what was before him. Cried like a baby. I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there telling Meredith, I don't think I'm ready for this. I'm not ready. I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. I just felt overwhelmed. She told me, who are you to say you're not ready? What we talked about is that God is in control and that the Lord is leading me. And if today is my time, it's my time. She said, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you. Nothing changes. Isn't that awesome? Here's the point. None of us will make it through the Christian life. None of us will thrive and endure and persevere and be who God has, not, has called us to be if we do not have significant covenant relationships. Meredith, the wife of Scotty, in that moment was embarking upon or, or, or emphasizing, sharing the beauty of covenant marriage, covenant marital love, fulfilling her vows in such a strong and beautiful way. It's an example of what we're going to see here in the relationship that God gave to David in Jonathan. David is at a crisis point in his life, and he goes to the one person he knows he can go to outside of the Lord, the covenant-keeping God. David goes to Jonathan, the one with whom he had made a covenant in chapter 18, verses uh, 1 through 4, I think it is. David rushes in to see Jonathan because he's running from Saul. He's running for his life. David says, I'm a step away from death. And he goes to the one, Jonathan, who had made a covenant, who had cut a covenant with David. And he pours out his heart to him. We're going to read some of it. I'm going to tell you the story. And we're going to look today in our moments together at six principles of covenant relationships. Now think about the types of covenant relationships that we have. There varying degrees of covenant relationship, but we saw a covenant vow this morning 
parents made a covenant before God to raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is a covenant vow before God. Marriage, probably the strongest of the covenant vows, where we say to one another, husband and wife, till death do us part, we cut this covenant before God together. Church officers make covenant vows to be elders and deacons that rule and serve and love and shepherd and teach the church. You've made a covenant before God. Church members have made vows to God that we are in covenant with this body to live as the family of God, in covenant with one another in the sight of God. And all of those covenant relationships are very significant. And what we see in David and Jonathan are principles for all of those and more to help us know how to fulfill our covenants that we have made with one another. So let's start reading. I'll tell you the story. Chapter 20, verse 1. David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? Have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. See, Jonathan can't believe that his dad would really do this. But David took an oath. There's that oath idea. And said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow's the new moon festival, and I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if Saul loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant. There's uh, that hesed, that steadfast love, the covenantal love there in verse 8. Show kindness, show steadfast love, show faithfulness, show commitment. So as for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to kill you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went out into the field together. Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father's inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father, but showing me unfailing kindness. But you show me unfailing kindness. There it is again, covenantal love, like that of the Lord. As long as the Lord, uh, sorry, uh, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant. There it is. They renewed the covenant 
with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. So here's the story then from here. Jonathan takes David out in the field. He says, I'm going to shoot three arrows after I have gone to the new moon feast with my father. This will be the sign for you so that you can know if it's safe or not. If I shoot the arrows and I have my, my servant go and I say to the servant, the arrows are on this side of you, then, John, then David, you're safe. But if I shoot the arrows past the rock and they go further and I say to my servant, go, the arrows are, are beyond you, then you know you must flee. So David uh, doesn't go to the new moon feast like he's supposed to. Saul would be waiting on David to join him with a seat at the table. And so Jonathan says, I'm going to let you know what my father does. So day one of the feast goes, the feast of booths, uh, no, the new moon feast rather. And David's not there. And Saul says, where's David? He must be ceremonially unclean so he can't come to the feast. But day two happens, and David's not there. And Saul says, where is David? And Jonathan says, he embellishes, he lies. David is asked to go with his brothers, to go to their own family clan to do a sacrifice. And Saul is enraged. And he's so enraged that he says to Jonathan, you son of a perverse woman. It sounds as if we were to say something like that today. He, 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 he mocks and he degrades, he belittles his son, and he belittles his son's mother. He is enraged to the point where Jonathan defends David and says, what has he done? And Saul now throws a spear at his own son, Jonathan. He says to Jonathan, as long as this David is around, you will never become the heir to the throne. And then he tries to kill him. That's, I don't get that, right? But Saul has bad aim with spears. We know that. He's 0 for 3 now. And now he's trying to kill his own son, the one who he says, I'm trying to preserve your throne. Saul is losing his mind. All right, let's pick up the text there again in verse 30. So they went, they did that test. And then Saul's anger flared up against Jonathan. Verse 30 Verse 32, Jonathan asks, what has he done? Verse 33, Saul hurls his spear at him. 34, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy run with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy's boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him. Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got down from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. There's two elephants in the room that I don't have time to address today. Maybe next week I'll begin the sermon with these two things because they're important questions to ask. Some at this point will say 
that there's some type of homoerotic relationship between Jonathan and David. It's just not true. I could take you through points to show you why that's just not the case. This is deep covenantal friendship. Second sort of elephant in the room would be, are they lying here? They are lying here. Is it right for them to lie to Saul here? What are the ethics of lying in this case? Maybe next week we'll get to that. If not, go study it. It'll be great. But in the time we have, six things I want you to see that are principles, characteristics of covenant love. The first is quorum Deo, which literally in the Latin means before the face of God. What you need to know about the covenant vows that Jonathan and David took to each together and the covenant vows you have taken before the Lord in all those different covenant relationships you have is that you made those vows in the face of the Lord. Over and over in this text, verse 8, verse 12, verse 13, verse 16, verse 23, verse 42, they connect with one another saying, the relationship we have, the covenant vows, the covenant love is before the face of the Lord. Therefore, it's holy, it's weighty, it's lasting, it's enduring. It calls on us to keep our commitments, not just to one another, but before the Lord. Quorum Deo. Remember your marriage vows, your baptismal vows, your church membership vows, and be faithful to them because they're holy before the Lord. Secondly, covenant relationships are safe and secure. At the time when David needed someone the most, a safe and protective person, he knew, I have a covenant with Jonathan. I can go to Jonathan. He will understand. He will receive. He will receive my raw honesty. Together we will look for the truth. Together we will look to understand. This is a safe person to go to because we're in covenant together. It's safe and secure. It's a relationship based on oaths before God. And David knew he could go to Jonathan. I ask you, is your family safe? Is your family secure? Can broken and afraid and fearful burden people whom you have entered into covenant, is your marriage safe? Can you be raw and honest with your spouse? Can your children be truly transparent and honest with you? Is it safe and secure for the raw honesty and transparency to come out? Is this church safe? Are broken people, afraid people, sinful people, people who've messed up miserably, who would face shame everywhere else. Is this a place where they can come and be safe and secure because of the covenant vows we've made together? David says, what's going on? David says, there's a step between me and death. He's just unloading on Jonathan. It's safe. He can do that. Are we that type of place? Is your family that type of place? Or is it a place of judgmentalism? Is it a place that's not safe because they'll face condemnation? What kind of church are we? I know with God, there's nothing we can do that will break that covenant vow that he has made to us. I know with God, there's no place we can go. There's nothing that can happen. It's ultimately safe and secure, no matter who we are or what we've done with God because of his covenant vows of grace with us. I also want you to know it's safe and secure because both men together are seeking truth. 
It's safe and secure, demonstrated in their deep affection and love for one another. Is that the nature of your family? Is it the nature of our church? I want you to see that this safe and secure relationship of covenantal love takes priority over all other relationships. These are your primary relationships. Saul's so mad at Jonathan because he's going to give up the throne. And he says, you're choosing the son of Jesse over me. And Jonathan says, you're right. I've entered into covenant with David. It takes priority over other relationships. In marriage, we take vows that say, forsaking all others. I will leave my father and mother and I will cleave to you. The marriage takes priority over all other covenant relationships that you have, friendships that you might have. I'll keep moving here, but I want you to see lastly about this safe and secure, that it's fiercely loyal and fiercely protective. Jonathan is enraged at how his father has attacked David. And because of the covenant relationship that Jonathan and David have, Jonathan is fiercely loyal. He's fiercely protective. And Jonathan defends David to his father. I want to ask just two application things quickly. When our kids really mess up, our church kids, does this church come alongside other parents and care for them as their teens wander? Or does this church gossip and say, hey, don't hang out with so-and-so. That's a bad kid. Are we fiercely protective and loyal to all of our covenant youth? Are we in this together or are we not? Because covenant relationship says that we're fiercely loyal and protective of our own. The reason we have such stringent, protective child protection policies here is that we are responsible to protect the most vulnerable because we've made covenant as God's people to care for the children and to help and assist parents in bringing children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I got to move on from that. Oh, I want to say this. It's important enough. I think there has to be overlap and support in all of our covenant relationships. Let me explain. What about our single moms who have husbands who have broken their covenant vows and shattered that covenant relationship? Who's there to pick up the pieces? You see the overlap? What happens when someone else has fallen prey to a covenant breaker? Does the covenant relationship of the church come alongside and help and assist? You see, just as David needed Jonathan because he was the victim of Saul's evil, so our single moms need the church to step in and fulfill their covenant vows as a church family when their husbands are no longer there. And it goes the other way too. When the wife has broken the covenant vows and the marriage has ended, we as a church have to step in and help. It's also true for the children. One of my dad's greatest legacies as an elder at Mitchell Road for all those years was I would see him Saturday mornings take the guys who were the the rebellious guys of our church, he would take them to breakfast and just spend time with them. Or the guys that didn't have dads. That's covenant faithfulness. Thirdly, it's enduring and persevering. Listen, we're all going to face testing and hard times and stressors and trials. But covenant love endures. Covenant relationship endures. It perseveres to the end. Just like 
God's covenant love with us perseveres to the end. There is no termination date. I think it was Dane Ortland that said that. There's no termination date to the covenant God has made with us. And therefore, we look at our covenants together in the same way. And David will fulfill his covenant vows to Jonathan, just as Jonathan fulfilled his covenant vows to David. Later in 2 Samuel, we will see David say, Who of the house of Saul, who of the house of Jonathan is left that I might show kindness to them? And there's Mephibosheth. And David gives him a seat at the table, fulfilling the covenant vow that pursued all the way to the end. Now listen, covenant relationships are the most important which means they're also the ones that hurt the most when we screw them up. We are terrible to our spouses. We are terrible to our children. We fight as a church because we're sinful people, but we have made covenant together. You can't leave this church just because you don't like the music. You took a vow. You can't take this, leave this church because you don't like the way people dress. You took a vow. You can't walk away from your family because you've had enough. You took a vow. You understand it's enduring. It's persevering. We get mad. We wound each other. We misunderstand each other. We suffer together, but we've made vows together. Think very carefully before you walk away from the covenant vows that God has allowed, you've made before a holy God. Marriage is a covenant before the Lord in sickness and in health and joy and in sorrow and plenty and in want. Uh, I, I gotta, let me just say this one. Uh, I, have, I have some friends who uh, early in their marriage, the guy was, was, was an idiot. He'll tell you he was. He was messing it up like crazy. And the woman looked at him one day, his wife looked at him one day and said, when I married you, I took two vows, one before you and one before the Lord. And the only thing keeping me in this marriage right now is the one I took before the Lord. Boom. It was a wake-up call. But she was faithful to her covenant vows. Fourthly, it's selfless. Oh, let me say this. First uh, Corinthians 13, some of these principles come out of there. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. Fourthly, it's selfless and sacrificial. Just as Jesus himself is selfless and sacrificial, Jonathan was giving up his throne for David. Jonathan was breaking the relationship with his father for David. David was committed to, to the relationship with Jonathan and selflessly acted for him as well. You see, our relationships as church family, our relationships as parents, our relationships as a married couple, they're selfless and sacrificial. Jonathan was zealous for David, was not interested in his own rights, and he was zealous for the kingdom of God. That's what motivated Jonathan. Jonathan didn't motivate Jonathan. Jonathan was motivated by the kingdom of God and the good of David. And we as spouses are motivated by the kingdom of God and the good of our spouse. We as parents are motivated by the kingdom of God and the good of our kids. We're not in this for ourselves because covenant relationships are not selfish. They are selfless and they are sacrificial. Let me keep moving here. I was struck this, struck this um, Easter week, Holy Week, this Easter season by the selflessness of Jesus. In his darkest hour, as he hung on a cross, what was on his mind? 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. His mother, John, here's your mother. Mother, here's your son, John. Jesus, the epitome of selflessness, the epitome of humility in his darkest hours did not think about himself. He thought about others and he thought about the kingdom of God because that's covenant love and Jesus made that covenant with us. Fifthly, covenant relationships need renewing. Verses 16 to 17, also verse 8 and verse 42, we see Jonathan and David in the midst of these stressors, in the midst of this really scary time, recommit renew their covenant with one another. And that's what happens in our lives as well. We forget the covenant vows we've made. We get distracted from the covenant vows we made. Life is hard. Sometimes we just frankly don't want to keep the covenant vows we made because we can't stand the people we've made those covenant vows to. I've often wanted to return my children. Can't do that. I guarantee my wife would have days that she would love for me not to be in the house. We make covenant vows to one another, but it needs renewing. I have a friend who restores tables, furniture. And in doing so, when he restores furniture, what is he doing? He's, it, after time, the, the furniture has, has worn, been worn a lot. And the, the refinishing process, the restoring process brings back its original luster. It brings back its original beauty. It makes it shine again. And that's what we need in all of our covenant relationships. Every Lord's Day when we gather together, we are renewing the covenant as the family of God. That's why fellowship is so important. That's why repentance is so important. Every time we do the covenant meal of the Lord's Supper, we are renewing our covenant with God and we're renewing our covenant with one another. One of the reasons we changed our Sunday night, we doubled our communions around here and we changed our Sunday night when, so that people came forward and gathered around the table together was so that we could see that horizontal relationship strengthened where we said, I'm in covenant with you. You're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. We're renewing the covenant together. Sometimes people renew their marriage vows and it's absolutely appropriate that they do so. All right, let me move to number six. All of these covenant characteristics I've given to you are derivative of God's covenantal love with us. Derivative meaning that we love and display the covenant with one another the way that God has shown his covenant love to us and because of the way that God has shown his covenant love with us. I've referred to this other times through here, but all the ways and the reasons that we honor the covenant with one another are because of the ways that God has made covenant with us. And his covenant is unbreakable. And his covenant is selfless. And his covenant is sacrificial. And his covenant is faithful. And it's permanent. And it's protective. And it's safe. And because God deals with us in that way. And because Jesus has been faithful to sit at the Lord's Supper with his disciples and say, this is the new covenant in my blood. I'm renewing this covenant with you. It's being fulfilled in your midst. And because Jesus is faithful to his covenant all the way to the point of death, we, in like manner, want to be faithful to our covenant with one another. Deuteronomy 7, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, 
the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, covenantal love and faithfulness. All right, here's the conclusion. In a good way, I want you this week, sometimes I look at marriages and go, that's a really great marriage. Not in a way that I'm defeated by, but I look at that couple and I go, I want a marriage like they do. And then I see parents that are really good with their kids and I go, I want to be like them. This week, I want you to look around at covenantal relationships, people that are doing it well, and I want you to renew in your heart and with your spouse, if you're married, and with your children, if you have them, and with your covenant family here, and as an officer in the church, whatever covenant relationships you have, to renew those in your heart, quorum Deo, in the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word for the stories that you give us that show us your faithfulness first and point to the covenant faithfulness of Jesus and then teach us how to respond according to your grace and covenantal relationship and love with one another. Make us faithful to be keepers of the covenants we have made as you have been faithful to us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.